a few moments to get there. Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning, I just want to remind you, since I'm going to speak tonight uh, heavily about marriage, I just want to remind you of the book, The Extraordinary Husband, Brothers. This is a great book for you. And The Extraordinary Wife, ladies, a great book for you. I don't know why we did this when we put these books together, but we gave the wives 30 chapters, so it's a 30-day devotional reading, and we gave the men 31 chapters. Apparently, brothers, we need more help or something. And uh, so those are on the table. Take advantage of them. I, I didn't mention yesterday, but uh, J.C. Ryle's old booklet has been reprinted, and it's entitled Thoughts for Young Men. And if you uh, have a grandson or know a young man, J.C. Ryle, there's nothing in here about the Internet. So it's a little dated in that regard. But the Bible principles he gives to young men in this little pamphlet is top of the line. All my sons had to read this book. And uh, we talked our way through. It's a great book. And then Tim, I have two copies of this book on the table by Tim Challies. And um, this book is called Sexual Detox. It's a guide for guys who are sick of porn. And I, I you know, feel, always feel awkward even talking about that. But it is an issue in our culture that has done just phenomenal damage to so many people. And I just am always looking for resources to help people in that regard. Uh, this is a good book. I've read it. Uh, I'm not battling. I'm free. I'm clean. But I read it, and it was a help to me. And if you know somebody battling, I'm telling you, or if you just want to wanna strengthen your own walk with God, those are excellent books. They're, they'll be on the table. And if I can help you afterwards, let me do so. I do bring you greetings from my best friend and uh, my favorite person in all the world. Bethley can't be here, and I'm sorry my wife cannot be here and I wish she were. I'd love for you to meet her, but uh, she certainly is praying for us, and uh, her heart is here with me, and uh, I, uh, I hope someday you'll get to meet my wife. She uh, actually has not been doing well physically, and so if you're praying this week and think of it, say a word of prayer for her. She's been battling some health issues for some time, and uh, we actually um, are working on today, worked on getting in some new doctors and things, so I'd appreciate your prayers about that, and that would be a blessing to me. I hope you've had a good day. Hope, uh, hope you're all happy tonight, are you? It's a good crowd. Glad you're here tonight. And uh, welcome to the service. And just let the Lord work in your heart. Two more nights, you know. It's going to go by fast. Tuesday, Wednesday will be here before we know it and gone. And uh, so bring somebody with you. Come to all the services you can. Let's talk about marriage, shall we? What, uh, what's the greatest verse you know about marriage? You know any? The greatest verse you know about marriage. Anybody here want to throw one at me? It's the greatest verse you know about marriage. Okay, don't know, don't know any verse about marriage, or uh, just not thinking of any. any. Any come to your mind? I'm thinking Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable in all. How many of y'all know that verse, do you? Marriage is honorable, it's a good thing to be married. Do y'all believe that? It's a good thing to be married. Marriage is a wonderful thing. How many of y'all are married? Let me see your hands. How many of you are not, but planning to change that? Anybody here? All right, a couple of you, I knew that happened. Marriage is just a great thing. You know, we... Uh, we live in a time when marriage is in trouble. Did you know that in the United States of America, 68% of marriages end in divorce? Now that's counting them all. First, second, third, ninth marriages. Uh, and we can't even chuckle about that, but there are people that have been married and divorced nine times. Can you believe that? Y'all know that. Am I going to say this right? How do you say this? I think it's a movie star. Jaja. Is that how you say that? Jaja Gabor. Y'all know that name at all? She's been married nine times and divorced. I think it was Britney Spears. Britney Spears has the record of one of the shortest marriages in history. She got a divorce after 57 hours. 
She was married for $50,000 on a wedding and 57 hours later divorce. This is a wacky world, wouldn't you agree? First marriages, first marriages in our culture are now coming to an end at the rate of about 47%. And we need help in our marriages, no doubt about that. Marriage is one of the great institutions in the Word of God and one of the things that makes life wonderful. Marriage is honorable in all. And the Bible says, he that findeth a wife finds a good thing. Do you all believe that? It's true. It's wonderful to be here. Now, we joke about it, don't we? I, I had a single guy traveling with me. In fact, it was our friend Mike himself. And a single guy traveling with me. And um, this older man said to him one night, said, to Brother Self, have you ever heard of the three rings of marriage? How many of y'all ever heard of the three rings of marriage? Have you? There's the uh, engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the older man said, the suffering. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? That's just terrible. And then the same guy came back another night and said, uh, did you hear about the three ships of marriage? There's, there's uh, uh, let's see, friendship, courtship, and battleship. Now, th those, are, those are horrible, aren't they? I uh, heard a guy say today, heard a guy say today, he said, did you hear about the little boy? The little boy came in the kitchen and said, Mom, for $5, I'll be good all day. And she said, why don't you be like your dad and be good for nothing? <laughs> now, that's, that's terrible, isn't it? And, and sometimes in our culture, we chuckle and laugh about marriage and, and so many fall apart. I want to tell you tonight that God is on your side. You that are married, God's on your side and he wants your marriage to work. And the Bible's going to tell us how tonight. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Let's celebrate it. Let's believe in it. Let's make ours work. Here's the greatest verse in the Bible, perhaps on marriage. Ephesians 5 and verse 31. Do you all know it? Every person ought to know this if you've been in church much at all. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Read that again. For this cause, marriage, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Where do you first find that verse in the Bible? Do you all know? Shows up in the Bible three times. Where's the first time you find it? Somebody tell me. You all know, don't you? The book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it's Adam and Eve. God wedded them together. You all know that story, don't you? Adam was alone. And God said, it's not good for this man to be alone. He needs a help meet. And a help meet, it's two words, actually. And he said, I'll make him a wife. And so he put him to sleep. And the Bible tells us, took out a rib, fashioned a wife, and then awakened Adam and said, I made you a gift and gave him a wife. And I heard one preacher say years ago when I was a young man, he said uh, what happened there and that story was that Adam had never seen a woman, a lady, and he opened his eyes and there was Eve and he said, whoa, man. And that's where we get the word woman. And uh, now you've heard that, I'm sure. But uh, the fact of the matter is that's where we get our verse because Adam says in the book of Genesis chapter 2, for this cause a man leaves his father and mother, he's joined to his wife, <clears throat> and the two of them shall be one flesh. Now what you find there is the definition of marriage. Now, I'm talking biblically. The definition of marriage is one man and one woman for one life. It's a covenant relationship that we make between, between ourselves and our spouse and our God. I, I'm a strong believer in Christian weddings. If you're a Christian, you should have a Christian wedding. I, uh, I, 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 if, if someone comes to me for counseling, uh, I, I suggest, always suggest, have a wedding in the church if you're a Christian. 
because it's a very special, sacred, holy matter to get married if you're a Christian because it's a covenant relationship. It makes a vow to God that I'm marrying this person in your will and we vow to each other and to you, we're covenanting to each other and to you that we're going to be married until death do we part. And y'all know about that, don't you? And so it's a covenant. So here's a definition of marriage. One man, one woman for one life. Let me ask you a tricky question. Okay. Can two men get married? That's a tricky question, isn't it? Because legally, the answer to that is yes. But biblically, the answer to that is no. So it matters whether or not you're a Christian. In the culture we live in, this is going to sound absurd, but there is at least several illustrations you can find on the World Wide Web. Uh, there's one story I found of a girl who married her horse. Now, that's a dumb thing. You, you, you are, is that okay to say that sounds kind of harsh? But I, I think I mean that with all sincerity. That's just a dumb thing to do, isn't it? You can't marry a horse. You can't do it. But, but more importantly, that legally, could you? Maybe so, legally. But a legal marriage, a legal marriage and a biblical marriage in our culture is beginning to be two different things. So the Bible definition of a marriage, one man, one woman for one life, which leads us to a second lesson here. Not only do we find the Bible definition in this verse, for this cause a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, we find God's plan for permanency in this verse. How long does God intend my marriage to last? I've been married 30 years. What is God's plan about my marriage? Do you all know? It's forever. God's plan is that until death do we part. You find the second time this verse shows up, for this cause a man leaves his father and mother. The first time is in Genesis. The last time it is in Ephesians. And the second time in, the, in between the two is the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel when they asked Jesus about divorce. And Jesus said about divorce, he said, Moses gave permission for you to get a divorce. But God's plan, this is what Jesus said, God's plan was that you would never get a divorce. God created marriage, this is what Jesus teaches, God created marriage with the intention that a marriage would last forever. That was God's plan. Now you know this and I know this, right? That doesn't always happen. Uh, in a crowd this size, and we're not necessarily a huge crowd, there would be people un undoubtedly in this crowd who've been through a divorce. But even if you've been through a divorce, would it still be safe? W w could I safely assume you would agree with the Bible here that God's plan is that marriages do last until death do we part? Do you all agree with that? E even if you've been through a divorce, you agree with God's plan there, don't you? That is God's ideal. Now, we can debate about divorce. And, you know, there, depending on what you do with the exception clause, Jesus gave an exception clause. And uh, it would have been really nice, Pastor, if he had left that out. Because I get more questions about the exception clause and more debate. I'm just telling you, seminary, we had a whole seminary debate about that when I was in seminary. But, but Jesus said uh, that, that, that a man should never, ever put away his wife. And then he said, except it be for fornication. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that, that divorce is not an option unless, he said, an unbeliever were to leave you and, and remarry. And he says in that situation, the, uh, the believing spouse is not under bondage. So, so there are several nuances and variances in the Bible, but every time you find God's definition of marriage, it's one man and one woman for one life, which is not only definition, it shows us the permanence of marriage. If you're married tonight, my brothers and sisters, God wants your marriage to work. And, and work is the key word there, because there's no marriage that happens by accident. 
Yeah, a good marriage is always, always an effort. And it takes a lifetime of effort. How many of y'all know that? Y'all know that? It takes a lifetime. I, I met our brother and sister back here, and he told me he's been married 55 years now. 55 years. Did he get it right? 55 years. Oh, so he's right. 55 years. That's a long time. Y'all agree with that? So I said to him, I suggested at this point you might as well stay married. <laughs> I mean, it'd be sure hard to start over, wouldn't it? I mean, after 55 years. But, but think about this, 55 years, that's a long time, isn't it? And, and yet, you know what happens in 55 years? There's, there's disagreements, there's, there's changes, there's issues, there's problems. But what do you do to have a great marriage in 55 years? It takes a ton of work. It takes prayer, it takes growth, it takes obedience. So no matter where you are tonight, God wants you to know marriage is good and marriage is biblical and marriage is intended to last forever. That's God's plan. My dad used to say it like this. My dad is a you know, farmer, country boy, and uh, just uh, my dad didn't even finish high school. He's, he's, he's really not educated. Probably the wisest, hardest working, strongest man I know is my dad. My dad used to say to us kids, he said, now let me tell you something, kids. If your mother ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> Now, that's a silly way to say it, isn't it? But I've never forgotten that because my dad was letting us know our plan in this family is that mom and I are going to stay married. And you know, when we were kids, they went through some hard times. They, they did. I, I remember several situations. My mom and dad got out of church. My dad got saved on a Monday night in a revival meeting. I was in kindergarten and our family was different. The preacher that preached the night we got saved, that my daddy got saved, uh, I remember the sermon. I was in kindergarten, but I remember it well because he preached all about, you ought to get saved, you ought to get saved, you ought to get saved. That was point number one. His second point in his sermon was, you ought to throw away your TV. Now that sounds kind of weird, but that's the truth. You know what happened that night? My dad got saved and threw away our TV. <laughs> all in one night. He got saved and went home and threw away our TV. And I want you to know, I hated that preacher. <laughs> The guy just kept messing up our lives. Every time he came to town to preach a revival, we threw something else away. One time he came and we threw away our Elvis records. I remember that like it was yesterday. Mom and dad, he preached something about Elvis. And mom and dad went, throw away the Elvis record. Had the guy kept coming, we would have had nothing left. But I remember dad got saved. Our family was excited in church, growing in the Lord. Man, it was great. And then my granny young, granny young, she's, she's passed now. Is how they would say it where I'm from. She's passed. Granny Young split the church. She was a big woman. And, and I don't mean heavy necessarily. I just mean she could whip you. And, and I'm serious about this. She's six foot something and she is tough as nails and mean as the devil. And, uh, and I'm not even meaning disrespect there. If you knew her, you would have agreed. She carried a pistol. And, uh, and that's, that's the truth. I'd work for her and she kept her purse, her pocketbook, she called it, in the, in the dryer in the kitchen. It's where she put it. And I'd work for her on the farm, and, and at the end of the day, she'd pay me, and, and I'd go in the house, and, you know, she'd give me a knee-high grape pop or soda and, and a banana or something or feed me supper, and then she'd say, all right. She'd say, you go get my pocketbook, and I'll pay you. And then she'd say, you be careful, my gun's loaded. <laughs> she told me that all the time. One day, she got so mad at her daughter-in-law, she pulled out her pistol and shot at her three times. That's the absolute truth. My granny went to jail for shooting at her daughter-in-law. Anybody here want to just praise God for your mother-in-law for a moment? Because I bet she's never shot at you. Now, Granny, that was my Granny. My Granny Young split the church, and Mom and Dad got out of church and got out of God's will, and it was tough. They fought. They, you know, Dad was miserable and Mom was miserable. 
And it was, it was a tough time. But you know what? They stuck through it. They worked through it. They, they kept going. They finally got back in church, and that's when I got saved. I, I got saved when they got back in church. That's when I came to know Christ. And because they got back in church, my sister got saved and raised her kids for the Lord and her daughters right now in Liechtenstein with her husband as a missionary. And, and their son is in church where they attend. My mom and dad got things right with the Lord. They grew. It wasn't easy, but they grew. They worked at it. They kept, and you know, now they're older. My dad's almost 80. And, and mom, they're, they're just a couple of months apart. And so they're getting older now. And, and these are the good years. They've, they've been through all the hard times. They've worked through it. They've raised children. They've, they, they've lost things. They've, they've been without jobs. They've had to, to financially struggle. But they stayed together and worked on it. And the result's been that here they are getting older now. And it's something really amazing. The, old, the longer you're married, God's plan is the sweeter it gets and the better it gets. My wife bought my parents a plaque the other day that said, We love long romantic strolls through the flea market. And, uh, and that's my mom and dad. They just love to go to flea market and they hold hands. My dad always says, I hold her hands because if I turn loose, she buys. And, uh, and so that's my dad. But see, here's the plan. God wants your marriage to work. And so Paul gives us a verse. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. There are three words that I would use to describe this verse. Three words. And, and here's the outline of the message tonight. Number one, there's a responsibility. You have a response. You leave your father and mother and you're joined to your wife. That's a responsibility. The two become one. That's a responsibility. Number, number two, there's a relationship. This is not cold formality. All right, fine. No, it's I like you and I love you and you're amazing and I'll work on my marriage for you. That's relationship. There's, there's, there's responsibility. We'll talk about that. There's relationship. We'll talk about that. There's one more R and you're going to like it. I'll try to save time to get to it. And that's the word romance. It's in the text. These two shall be one. That's romance. Y'all believe in romance? <laughs> Crickets? Do I, need to, do I need to preach more on romance? Are we okay? Romance is important, isn't it? That's why you get married. You have romantic feelings. And you're like, I like this person. I like this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this person. These are God's words here. This is God's, God's teaching. Responsibility, relationship, and romance. Do you know the responsibility you have if you're married? You know God's responsibility? Uh, all of us have, there's some responsibilities unique to all of us. We all have the same responsibility. Husbands, there's some responsibilities unique to you. And wives, there's some responsibilities unique to you. Uh, are you aware of the fact, do you have your Bible still open in Ephesians? Look in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, would you? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 is the beginning of this entire ending of the book. This is where Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now chew, chew, chew on that just a moment. What Paul is reminding us of here is the fact that he's been talking about how we got saved. Y'all know Ephesians, don't you? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works. Y'all know that passage? So Paul's been talking about how to get saved. And he's been talking about what we have because we're saved. We're forgiven, we're chosen, we are adopted, the we, we're, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, the list is a mile long. Now I'm a child of God. Wow, look what I have. He, he glorifies our salvation and our position because of our salvation. When you get to chapter 4 and verse 1, what he's doing is transitioning from a doctrinal section about the gospel to a practical session section about the gospel. So what he's going to do in these last three chapters is tell you all right now that you're saved, a child of God, what you've got to do is live the Christian life. And you ought to master these verses. I, I will preach some from them the next two nights. But you ought to master these verses because what Paul is telling you here is your responsibility now that you're saved is to be a victorious Christian, a successful believer. That's God's plan for your life. Are, are you all saved tonight? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Then God's plan is that, you victor that you're victorious. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. I won't preach on it tonight, but if you're married or if you're just saved, I'm talking to marriage tonight. For those of us who are married, this section begins right here. What's our responsibility? To be victorious Christians. Which is why he's going to talk about things like this. He starts out by saying, uh, uh, well, it's right there in the text. Verse 2. With all low, Here's how you walk worthy of the vocation. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice what he's doing. He's talking about what you ought to be. You ought to have humility, that's lowliness, meekness, that's gentleness, long-suffering, that's patience. You ought to for, forbear one another in love. That word forbear means to put up with. Don't you like that? It means to tolerate. It means I'm married to you. And doesn't no matter what, I'm going to tolerate you. It really means that. It means I'm going to, nothing you do is going to change the fact that I'm going to love you because I'm going to forbear you in love. So she rubs you the wrong way. doesn't change a thing. Ah, no, you, just, you didn't mean that. I love you. And you're not going to get off that easy. I'm going to keep on loving you. That's the idea of it. So he doesn't pick up his socks, doesn't change a thing. I'm going to forbear you in love. I'm going to tolerate you. Uh, my man, my man can drive a tractor that weighs 14 tons, can't put his socks in the hamper. <laughs> See, it doesn't bother him. Doesn't bother you because you forbear each other in love. And then he says here, we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Shouldn't there be peace in a relationship? Anybody can fuss and fight and be cantankerous and hard to get along with? No! We're to have humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace. Do you see what he's doing here? He's laying out your responsibility to be a victorious Christian. And if you read through this, you're going to find out he says you need the church. You need the church. Get into church. He teaches that in Ephesians 4. You and I need the church. We ought to be in church and we ought to go to church and get all in. My kids went to church. We were in this one church and we had, had gone through a tough situation in a church and we ended up, actually that church actually asked me to leave the church. The pastor asked me to leave the church. And uh, he, he was wounded and upset and I asked a question about some issues that uh, there had been 140 people leave the church over the issues and I privately met with him and asked about these issues and he said, uh, I, I think it's obvious whose side you're on, get out. You know, what? not quite that harshly, but so we ended up having to leave that church and we went to this other church to help it get started. And my kids complained. The, 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 we were in this church that was alive and loud and happy and exciting and the church we were going to, you know, we're trying to help it get started and it's quiet and a little bit on the dead side. My kids are like, I don't like it. So I said to my kids, all right, we're going to change that. Sunday morning, you're going to go to church and you're going to get all in. I want you to go in, shake hands with everybody there. I want you to hug people's necks. I want you to meet every teenager in the building, get them on the front row. And I want you to get everybody with their Bible open and y'all lean forward and smile at the pastor and give him two thumbs up or maybe even say amen out loud. And let's just get all in and make this real exciting. And you know what? They did. 
My kids, I, I, I made a big deal. Go to church. I know the church is struggling, but let's get to church and you get on the front row with all the teenagers and you just make the pastor think he's an amazing preacher. And I said, you know, if you'll smile at him, you'll probably preach better. Y'all know that is true, don't you? It's the truth. You ought to look out sometimes at crowds and they're just staring at you. And you're like, the wheel's turning, but the hamster's dead. <laughs> like there's nothing going on in that mind right there. And I just said to my kids, let's go. See, church is important. You ought to be in church together as a couple. You ought to sing, daddy, daddy, stand up and sing. Husband, sing. We're Christians. Church, he's laying out in Ephesians 4 our responsibility to be victorious Christians. You want to have a great marriage? Then be the best Christian you ought to be. That's what he's trying to tell us here. So he lays out, he talks about, I, I don't have time to preach on it. I could be here all night. He talks about our tempers, our tongues. He talks about, you know, our kindness and our forgiveness and our tenderheartedness. He talks about living purity. This is Ephesians 4 and 5. And then you get to the unique responsibilities. Those are general responsibilities. All of us have those responsibilities. Then you get down to the husband. And he says, now husband, this is all you have to do. To, this is your responsibility. All you got to be, number one in verse 23, is you need to be the head of the wife. You've got to be the spiritual leader. And he says in verse 25, here's all you got to do, husbands. You got to love your wives. Husbands, aren't you glad it's that simple? You want to have a great marriage? Here's all you got to do. You got to be the right kind of Christian and you got to lead your wife and you got to love your wife at least as much as Jesus loved the church and died for it. That's all you got to do. Aren't you, aren't you glad it's that simple? That's all you got to do. You got to be a victorious Christian, brother. This is your responsibility and lead your wife and family and love your wife at least as much as Jesus loved the church and died for it. That's all you got to do. Now, it sounds absurd. So wait a minute. There's no way a man can love like Jesus loved the church. Well, apparently you can because Jesus said you should. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's all you got to do. If you went to 1 Peter, he would add one more responsibility, guys, for me and you as men. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says that men, we need to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. How many of y'all know that verse? 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 7. So really, he gives us four responsibilities, brothers. I need to be a victorious Christian. That'll help my marriage. I, I need to lead my family, lead my wife. That'll help my marriage, spiritually speaking there. I, I need to love my wife as much as Christ loved the church, and I need to understand my wife. That's all I got to do to have a happy marriage. Now, somebody, some guy said to me, Brother Young, that sounds good, but there's not a man in the world that can understand women. You ever heard that? And can I tell you something? It's not wrong. I saw a book at a Barnes & Noble one time on a sale rack, and it was entitled, Everything Men Know About Women. It was probably 300 pages long. And it was $2.99 on sale. And I thought, you know what? I'm buying that book. And I picked it up, looked at it. Every page in it was blank. <laughs> now I thought, no, somebody had a real sense of humor, didn't they? And I laughed and put it back. I'm not buying a blank book. Though it made me laugh. thought, that's a funny book right there. Somebody really had a sense of humor. But you know, brothers, God didn't call us to understand women. He called us to understand our wife. So that I don't need to understand pastor's wife. Don't need to at all. Doesn't have anything. I don't care a thing about it. Don't need to understand her. But I am commanded by God to understand my sweetheart. To be her student. To get to know her. To know what she likes and doesn't like. and To know what her besetting sin is so I can strengthen her. To know where she's hurting so I can help her. To know where she needs help so I can be there for her. 
to know I, I've got to study my wife. I've got, to, I got, to, I got to be her head. And as I understand my wife, then I can lead. I can pray with my wife. And I, I, I can take the initiative in our home to lead us in the right direction. Guys, don't wait for your wife to get the kids ready for church. Be the leader. You're the head of the home. Get up and say, we're going to church. And, and your wife's like, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Well, you do the hair. You do it one time. She'll do it next time. Um, but you got to lead. You got to lead. You, you need to have family altar. You need to lead. Husbands, you do the hard things. You're to be the head of the home. And, and help your wife and lead your wife and, and be there for her and encourage her. And, and make sure you love her at least as much as Jesus loved the church. You know the lesson in that? There is never a time when a man can stop loving his wife. Because Jesus said, I'm the, Paul said, Jesus is the standard. And he, how do I know he loved the church? He died for it. So the only time you can ever stop loving your wife is when you're dead cold. That's it. Until then, you're to love. And a man said to me in one of our counseling sessions, he said, now I just got to tell you, he said, I don't love her anymore. I don't love her anymore. And I said, well, that's your fault. Because that's true. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't love her anymore. Then you got a problem, sir, because you are disobedient to Almighty God. Because your calling, your responsibility is to love your wife. Now think about this. Would it surprise you if I told you, your brothers and sisters, would it surprise you if I told you there was a day I didn't love my wife? Because it's true. I didn't love her at all. At all. You know why? Because I didn't know her. I'm from Tennessee. She's from Ohio. I'd never laid eyes on that woman. I didn't love her at all, didn't know her. In fact, when we were seniors in college, a friend of ours introduced us at a soccer game. And when she told me she was going to introduce me to this girl at a soccer game, I asked, who is it? And she wouldn't tell me. So I refused to go. Not going to a soccer game to meet a blind date. I'm not doing it. I've been praying for a beautiful wife. I'm not taking chances. And uh, so finally she told me her name. Her name is Bethley Dennis. It didn't mean anything to me. So I ran back to my residence hall at the end of that class, got out last year's yearbook, went to the back, looked up the dentists, found Bethley on page whatever, and I flipped over there, and I went to the soccer game. <laughs> it's like, I'm all in. Woo, am I all in. And I showed up, and I met Bethley that night, and uh, that's the night, that's the night I met her. See, I didn't love her till then, but I met her. And you know what happened over the course of the next 19 months? We got to know each other. I wrote her love letters. I bought her flowers. I took her on dates. I met her daddy. I got to know her mother. She met my parent. What's, what's, happening? what's happening here? We're taking steps to be in love. When a man says, I don't love her anymore, you know what's wrong with him? He stopped taking steps. He stopped. He gave up. He quit. He walked away. You, 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 you can't be in love unless you are growing love. Dr. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, he's in heaven now. Dr. Adrian Rogers says love is never static. In other words, it's never this. At any given time, love is either decreasing or increasing. And that's based on your behavior. Brothers, that's your responsibility. I got to hurry because wives, you got a responsibility too. These need entire sermons. Y'all know this, don't you? These need entire sermons. Uh, ladies, you have a responsibility. And the Bible says here in our text, in verse 22, wives, your responsibility, of course, is the same as your husband's to be a victorious Christian. 
but then you have a unique responsibility, verse 22, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And you have an added responsibility to that found in verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she, what? Her husband. Reverence her husband. Seriously? That's God's responsibility given to you ladies. He gives you these responsibilities. Ladies, you're to, uh, you're to be a victorious Christian. That'll help your marriage. But on top of that, you are to, you're to relate to him with the issue of submission. And you're to relate to him with the issue of reverence. Now, submission is a tricky word. It's a good way to get stoned in our culture. But submission's a Bible word, and it's a, it's a military term. Submission means under the mission of another. So, ladies, the Bible commands that your husband be the head, that he leads in prayer, that he takes the initiative, that he's helping your family, that he's growing your family, that your husband's trying to walk with God and help our home to be what it ought to be. Submission says, all right, that's his mission. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on board. And literally the best word I, I, I think maybe you could use is the word partner. Submission is when you voluntarily say, sweetheart, if you'll lead our family, I'll partner with you and uh, I'll be there with you and I'll walk with you through this as you lead our family. I'll partner with you and, and together we'll have something special. See, that's the idea of submission. Y- y'all follow that? Uh, it has the idea, it's the opposite of rebellion. Here's another way to look at it. Do y'all know about rebellion? I do a little bit of sign language. Any, any sign language interpreters in the room at all? Anybody here do sign language? If you do any sign language at all, one of the words for rebellion, the way you would say, if I were going to call, if I was going to sign the word rebel or rebellion, it's a fist. And, and I, I know I'm going to get, there's, there's two ways to do it. Some people say the word rebellion like this. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a pulled back fist. A lot of them do it somewhere right here like this, and it's, it's, a, it's still a fist idea. It's, it's the idea of leaning. Have you ever seen a kid? You ever seen a kid in trouble, say at school, and he's being chewed out? You ever seen that? And he leans away. Go ahead. Make my day. He leans away. That's rebellion. Submission is the opposite of rebellion. If rebellion is, nobody's telling me what to do. If rebellion is leaning away, fine, go ahead, give it to me. Submission's the opposite. Submission leans his way. Do you see how beautiful that is? I, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, my wife's amazing at that. Bethley will call me. She'll text me or call me. She'll say, honey, uh, I just stopped here at the thrift store and they have a pair of shoes for $7. Um, I wasn't planning to stop by the thrift store, but I did. They got a pair of shoes for $7. Do you think it'd be okay if in the budget I bought these shoes? Now listen, my wife's brilliant. She knows her husband is a filthy rich man. (laughs) She didn't need to ask me about seven bucks for crying out loud. But why would my wife call me and say, hey, what do you think about these $7 shoes? Think I ought to get them? It's just my wife's way of saying to me, hey, we're in this together. And I'm looking to you. It's a simple matter. It's called submission. It's partnership. Bethany will call me and, or, or on our morning walk, sometimes she'll say, uh, hey, honey, your son, you know, when your wife says that, that means a problem's going on here. Honey, your son, and she'll tell me something one of the boys did or whatever. What's she doing there? She's given me the chance to be the head of our home. My wife's brilliant. My wife's smarter than I am highly educated, 
My wife's an amazing woman. Speaks to ladies all over the country. My wife could solve the problem on her own. She doesn't do it. She comes to me in partnership. This is what God says is your responsibility. To look to your husband. And I said, well, how far do you go? You lean his, how far do you go that? Go as far as you can. I mean, ask him, how much do you want me to spend at the grocery store? If he says, I don't care, take him at his word. <laughs> and if he spends, if, listen guys, if you told her you didn't care, and she goes to the grocery store and spends $1,329.15, get over it. Because you told her you didn't care. Now, I don't mean to be absurd about that. If you care, tell her. You know, and if you don't care, it's okay to say so. But let's part. Husbands, you've got to lead and you've got to love. And wives, you've got to submit and reverence. Did you know God designed you ladies with a need to be loved? God designed you as a lady with a need for a husband to let you know he loves you. You know, guys, why sometimes your wife is so vague and you're like, why didn't you just tell me where to eat? Why doesn't she just tell me? You know why? Because God designed her to, to, with a need to be loved. When you figure it out, when you figure it out and you are gentle about it and and, and you, you, when you make it work, you know what? She feels loved because she feels you're pursuing her. If she loves flowers and you bring her home flowers, what's that? It makes her feel, my goodness, he loves me, cares about me. You help with the dishes. Oh my goodness, isn't he amazing? He loves me. You bathe the children or you come in and take over even though you've worked hard all day. What are you saying to your wife? I love you. And she is fulfilled in that. God designed her that way. Husbands, that's why you got to love and show it. If she loves flowers, be good at that. Say, I don't have a lot of money. Pick some. Go by the cemetery. They won't know. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. No, I, mean, I mean, yes, you could. And it's true, they won't know. Uh, but don't get arrested and blame it on Dave Young, all right? But see, to say to your wife, honey, I got these for you. I bought this. My wife loves chocolate. See's chocolate is her favorite. And uh, there's a little place up in Berlin, Ohio, called Koblenz Chocolate in Amish country. And oh my goodness, my wife could, could live on Koblenz Chocolate. If I order her some Koblenz Chocolate or get her some Seas Chocolate when I'm passing through an airport and see some, you know what I just did? I let her know I love her. When I, forgive me, when I put down the toilet seat because she prefers that, what I just did was let her know I love her. When I put my socks in the laundry basket, what I just letting her know I love her. When I get up some mornings and make the bed and she doesn't have to, what am I letting her know I love her? So you got to show it. Wives, do you show your husband that you reverence him? Because in the same way God gave him, you a God-given need emotionally to be loved, God's given your husband this, this unique need, this masculine need to be reverenced. Respected is the word. My wife when my wife says, this, this, is, this is so silly, but it's so true. If my wife says to me, hey, hey, Dave, you're the man. My wife says to me, honey, you're the, you the man. You know what? I believe her. I'm like, you know, come to think of it. <laughs> Changes my whole life. Isn't this simple? We read these, these, are, these seem, they seem cold and sterile words. Husbands love your wives 
and, and be the husbands are the head of the wife, and wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That seems so cold and sterile. God doesn't mean it to be that. This is a relationship, which brings us to our second word. Yes, it's a responsibility, but it is based on a relationship. You ought to like each other, and you ought to be close to each other, and you ought to work on your marriage together. Why? That's relationship. You know why you got married? You got married because you were friends. You didn't get married because you had to. I mean, nobody held a gun to your head and said, you're going to say I do. Nobody does that. You just got to be like, I like you. Will you marry me? And she said, oh, yes, I will. And, and, and oh, my goodness, you, you adored each other. You, it was a relationship that brought you to the, the wedding altar. It was relationship. And relationship is what God wants in your marriage. My dad-in-law's in heaven now. Bethley's father pastored the Newark Baptist Temple in Heath, Ohio for 47 years. He was an amazing man, built one of the great churches in the state of Ohio, won souls all over the world and supported missions. And one of the finest men I've ever met was my father-in-law and probably my greatest friend. He was one of my best friends. Bethley's, Bethley's dad, I walked into his office one day. He was a, a great counselor on the family and helped married couples all the time. And so I said to dad one day, I said, hey dad, what's the number one problem when a couple walks into your office wanting marriage counselor? What's the number one problem between couples who need counseling? And Bethley's dad barely looked up, didn't even hesitate a moment, without any effort at all, said these words, well son, it's because they're not best friends. And I thought, could it really be that easy? That simple. I think so. You know what happens when a couple comes to Bethany and me for marriage counseling? They aren't friends. She's upset at him. He's upset at her. They don't even like each other. Oftentimes when they come to us for counseling, it's almost too late because they've decided they hate each other. God's plan is that you base your marriage on fulfilling your responsibilities in a relationship to where you're in love, to where I like you and you like me. We get along. You know, my wife knows my weaknesses. You know what? She still likes me. I know hers. She still likes me. I still like her. Isn't this beautiful? It's relationship. What are you guys doing to have a great relationship? Do you ever hold hands? Do you, uh, you spend time together? Do you talk? How many of y'all praise God that God gave us the gift of communication? Are you thankful for that? Sometimes men are like, well, that woman of mine can talk the paint off a wall. Well, well, stop it, brother. That's a great gift from God. If your wife's a talker, you ought to get good at listening. My dad, my mom's a talker, and that's the truth. Man, she can talk. And uh, my dad, he's not much of a talker, but he's a great listener. And I've seen him sit for many hours in, on a porch in a swing beside of my mom. And she's just like, would you believe and can you believe? And so-and-so said this and so-and-so did that and oh my word and whatever in the world. And she just talks and talks and talks. And my dad is very engaged, but he doesn't say much. Just periodically my dad would say, well. <laughs> Sometimes he throws in a they. I have no idea what that means. But I've heard him say that many times. They. Or Well. And you know what? Why is he sitting on a porch with my mom who's yakking up a store? Because he loves her. They're best friends. Why do they go out yard selling or to a flea market or go to the grocery store together? You know why? Because they're best friends. 
Why do they sit in church together? Because they're best friends. My dad's out splitting wood. Sometimes you'll see my mom out there with him. He won't let her split wood. No, 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 no. You, don't you pick that up. No, no. Just sit down over there. Sit down over there. And or he'll let her, you know, if he's using his hydraulic splitter, he'll let her use the little handle. And I'll put it up there and she'll hold it down. Isn't that beautiful? And they're splitting wood together. Isn't that just beautiful? And sometimes while he's out feeding his black Angus, I believe in black Angus. Anybody here with me on that? Somebody asked me that day. Somebody asked me that if I eat venison. I said, well, good heavens, why? There's steak. I mean, why, why eat venison? My dad raises black Angus beef cows. Why eat venison? Somebody help me preach this sermon. You don't need venison if you got black Angus. Amen? Now, I know you can eat it, and I have, and I've done deer hunting and shot deer and, and given them away. But uh, I, uh, I, I, so I'm being a little silly here. But, but what's the, my dad will be out there feeding his cows. My mom will go out with him sometime. And they all, they, my dad's turned into this strange man. I don't know him. He was always busy, you know, oh, don't make a pet out of that cow. We're going to kill it and eat it. And now my dad makes pet out of them and does kill them and eat them. And, uh, and he's got them all named. And over here, you know, and this is Bella right here. It's my little buddy Bella right here. And he scratched her between the eyes. And one of those cows, I was there, my dad said, and one of those cows came up and nudged his pocket. And I said, tell me you haven't been bringing little snacks out here for the calves. No, no. And I'm like, yes, he has. Yes, he has. I'm like, who is this old man? I don't know who this is. But my mom be out there with him. Sometimes my mom be vacuuming. My dad, my dad will help her vacuum the cow. What? What's this about relationship? See, don't let your relationship die. Some of you got kids. You got a baby. You know what that baby will do? That baby will do everything he can to come between you two. Do you all know that? He will, I'm telling you. He's demanding. That kid comes into, he just, when babies come, they just come in and stay. They come into your life and they stay. And they want your food and they want your money. And, and you only got about 18, give it 18 more years. Ethan Lecroy, y'all know Brother Ethan, right? He's been here to preach. Brother Ethan, when he had his first child, Caleb, I went by his house to see Caleb and, and uh, to talk to Caleb about the fact that I was going to be his favorite evangelist. And uh, I was holding his little boy, six weeks old, Caleb. And, um, and, and, and Ethan said to me, he said, Brother Dave, he said, I don't think I can do this. I said, do what? He said, be a daddy. I said, why not? He said, because I haven't slept in six weeks. <laughs> I said, son, hang in there. It'll get better. He'll move out in about 19 years. <laughs> Just give it 19 years and you're going to be fine. And, and, and of course, I was joking about that. You know that. But see, here's the whole idea. Relation. Here's what God's telling us. You want to have a great marriage? You, you got you to gotta fulfill your responsibilities. Be victorious Christians. Work on loving your wife and being the head of your wife. Ladies, work on submission and respect. Build him up. Tell him he's the man. Let him know you're grateful for the work he does. Let her know how thankful you are that she cooks a meal. Make sure you say thank you for everything. Say thank you for laundry and say thank you for a vacuumed floor. Say, say thank you when a bed is made. See, make your life sweet. Have a relationship. And in the middle of it, he says these words. For this cause, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Best word to describe that is romance. Don't ever forget romance in your marriage. Say, well, I'm just not the romantic type. Then you better change that. That's just not how I am. Get over it but I'm German. I don't care if you're a Martian. If you're married and you're a child of God, 
romance is essential. So don't overlook romance. You too shall be one. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. The Bible's careful there, and we want to be wise about this in a setting like this. But the bed is part of romance, but it's not the only part of romance. It's an important part. It, it, that needs a whole sermon probably in our culture that's so messed up in its thinking. The bed is, is just a part of romance, but romance is a lifestyle. Ro romance is when you, when you take the time to love each other. My wife, um, my son's baby came two months early. He was in the NICU, and, and of course everything was all, you know, he's little, he's tiny, is he okay? And my wife, we were at a revival meeting, and I said to my wife, go, get, I'm going to buy you a ticket, go stay with him, and you be there and help. And, and, and she wanted to go, I want to be with my son and, and daughter-in-law and our grandson. So I said, you go. We had our RV with us in a revival. When we, tra when we drive, I take an RV, and so we had our RV, and my wife's in the RV on the kitchen counter of the RV. My wife has a Mary Englebright calendar. And it's a calendar with a little painting on it, a little saying for every day of the year and shows you the holidays and all that. And you tear off one page every day. And I never tear the pages off because that's my wife's calendar. And uh, my wife left. I took her to the airport and she flew to be with our kid. And I came back. Charity and I were together. And, and uh, Charity said, Mom left you notes. And I went over to the Mary Englebright calendar. And sure enough, she left me a note every day she was going to be gone. And I never tear those off, but I did while she was gone. And just a little, little flirt, little, little flirt notes. Just I tore it off, and she's like, you know, I dream of you. Wink, wink. What you call that? It's called romance. And my daughter said, you call that disgusting. <laughs> but that's what you call romance. Y'all want me on that? And, and, you know, honey, I just, I think you're amazing. And honey, I just want you to know, I wish I were there to hear you preach tonight because you are my favorite preacher and the best I've ever heard. She tells me lies like that all the time. And I just, I just believe her. I never argue with a brilliant woman. And I'm like, well, honey, she must be right. I'm God, she must be right. You made her brilliant. And but here, what she, what she do? She's flirting with me. You, you, how many of y'all have a phone, do you? Are you married? Flirt. Send a text. Make it good. My teenagers used to read my, my notes to their mom. My phone would chirp or whatever, my wife's phone. And my kids will grab it. And they're like, hey, Dad, Mom wrote you. Dad, Mom said. And they'd read it to me. And hey, Mom, Dad said. And they'd read it to Mom. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to break them of that. So I uh, sent her a text. And I made it steamy. Oh, it was good. <laughs> man, it was good. Oh, man. I just hit send, and sure enough, across the room, her little phone, like, beep, beep. And my daughter was like, hey, Mom, Dad. Oh. <laughs> my daughter has never read my wife's text ever again. I'm just telling you, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Now, see, I'm being a little silly tonight, but don't you think romance is important in a marriage? Don't get over that. If you've been married a long time, be sweetly married. Be happily married. I met this couple years ago in the northern part of Indiana. This is probably the third year I was in revival work, so we're going back 27 or 28 years ago. Met this couple who were, they were, they were in their upper 90s. They had just celebrated 76 years of marriage. They were fairly healthy. They didn't get out too much. They didn't drive anymore. And, 
but they still lived together in the same house they had lived in all 76 years of their marriage. Just a tiny little house. Pastor and I went to visit them, had prayer with them. And uh, we're sitting in their home, Pastor. And she said to the pastor, this cracked me up. She said, can I get you something to drink? And pastor said, well, he said, what do you have? She said, well, I got water or Mountain Dew. <laughs> and I thought, she's almost 100 and she's got Mountain Dew in the refrigerator. <laughs> I thought, maybe there's a connection. And so she said, I got water in my mouth. Pastor said, well, he said, I'll take it. In fact, he said, I'll take it, Mondo. He said, I'll go get it. I'll go get it. You stay right there. I'll go. She said, no, you won't. This is my house. She said, you sit down. She got up on her walker and she went by her husband. He's in the lazy boy recliner. She went by him into the kitchen to get Pastor and me a Mountain Dew. And I'll never forget this. They were such a sweet couple, not 76 years of marriage. And they a little flirty there in the living room. You know, they called each other little cute names. You know, Baby Don. And isn't that right, sweetheart? When he walked by her, or when she walked by him, rather, I, I couldn't believe what he did. Right in front of God and me and his pastor. <laughs> she walked by on her recliner, or on her walker, you know, and he's in his recliner. And he reached out and patted her. <laughs> and she said, stop that. <laughs> And, and he winked at me and passed her across the room. Like, and I thought, you know what, Lord? If I live that long, I want to be just like that couple. I want to get on my walker and say, baby doll, come over here. And uh, give your man a smooch. Now, isn't it funny that we laugh at that? We get a couple in our church. They get married and they're kind of lovey-dovey. And they're all what we call, you know, puppy love, newlywed. What do we do? We'll say things like, you know what? Give them a few years. They'll get over it. Shame on us. You know what God wants for our marriages? God wants our marriages to be a little bit of heaven on earth. Amen. That's the whole point. Have a sweet marriage. Work at your marriage. Now listen, you may find times in your marriage where you need help. Swallow your stinking pride and get help. Nothing wrong with that. I, I didn't catch your name, my, my sister. What's your name? name? Yes, ma'am. Karen. Karen. Not Karen. Okay, you're the good Karen. <laughs> Now, Karen and I have a mutual friend named Dr. Dave Tice. Uh, he's one of my mentors, and he was her pastor for 20-plus years, right? Okay, but I, I'll tell you something about her pastor, uh, Brother Tice. More than once, I've called that man to say, Doc, Beth and I are working through a situation. Could you give me some counsel? I called your former pastor one night, one afternoon. This wasn't about my marriage, but it was about an issue we were facing in our ministry. He was in staff meeting with his entire staff of about 20-some people with our Christian school staff. I realized he was in staff meeting. I said, I'm sorry I called. I'll, I'll just call later. Three minutes later, he called me back. I hung up the phone. He called me back. He said, uh, I canceled staff meeting. He said, what's up? I, I, I am so thankful that God put that man in my life. I've called him for help about raising my children. I've called him for help about my marriage at times. I miss Bethley's daddy. Bethley's daddy's in heaven. and I guess I kind of took for granted the fact that any time I could call that man and say, Dad, what, what would you do if you were us? How should we handle this? Brothers and sisters, none of us have the corner on the market. None of us are 
100% successful, but any of us can work at it and honor God and obey the Bible and get help when we need it. Don't be ashamed of that. If you need help, get it. Why? Because marriage is worth the effort. And it is an amazing thing to have a great marriage. How's yours? How are you doing? All well? You're working at it? You need help? Get it. Do this, do this, pray together, pray together. Every day, pray together. Do this, go on dates together. Do this, hold hands. Do this, always be sweet. Do this, forgive each other quickly. So what if he got up on the wrong side of the bed and was a little harsh? Forgive him. Just say the truth. He didn't mean that. He just got up on the wrong side of the bed. Don't let it ruin your whole day if she said something a little harshly. Make your marriage amazing. Because this is what God wants for your marriage. He wants it to be heaven on earth. Well, I preached a long time, didn't I? Y'all ready to go home? Now, before we go home, let's just open the floor for a few question and answers. Anything I preached about, anything I'd clarify, anything I'd help you with? If so, let me know. Anything at all, I'll take a moment to answer any questions. If you have any questions about marriage that I can answer. Anything at all? Anything at all? Any question is valid. Anything at all? All right, we'll skip the first one. Is there a second question? Right, anything at all? All right. Pastor, anything at all? Okay. Well, thanks for listening to God's Word. Tomorrow night, we'll talk about raising families. And uh, we'll again talk about our responsibilities and what God lays out in His Word that we have to do. You know what? God's on our side. He's pro-family more than we are. And He wants all of us to win. And it's a great thing when they do. Here, how long have you guys been married? Just, just getting started, aren't they? And isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Just tuning that little boy, little boy. And you know what? Some people in our world will be like, oh my goodness, you got a kid. You'll really mess up your life. Stop it. What in the world? How sweet is that? You know, just let him watch mom and dad be madly in love. Let him grow up and know, wow, mom and dad are real. Let him know that. It's worth it. It's wonderful. So I got to quit or I'll be here all night. So uh, you take it, my brother. It's Amen. all yours. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming out tonight. Wasn't that good? Amen. I know if you've been encouraged tonight, I, I promise you you'll be encouraged next couple nights. So work to be here as best you can. And uh, we're thankful. I believe God gave us clear weather this week for the very reason of this, uh, these meetings. And we had every reason to be here. So uh, I hope that you'll do that. But thank you for coming tonight. Good group. I'm encouraged that you take the time to do so. I, hope, I really do hope that you will take advantage. Lord, we thank you again uh, for how good you are. Thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage. Lord, we've been reminded tonight of what your word says concerning marriage. Lord, may we uh, work in our home, work in our marriage. Lord, we understand uh, that it does take work. Lord, may we seek to fulfill the responsibilities and the roles that you give to us as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would keep you in the focus of our marriages and our, in our home. And uh, Lord, that we would glorifying you through fulfilling those responsibilities. Lord, we pray that uh, uh, you would be with us now as we uh, go our separate ways. Lord, may we not allow even the things that we've been challenged in tonight to uh, just be something that is here and then gone. Lord, may we even think of ways as we're uh, heading back to our homes. Think of ways uh, that we can sharpen and strengthen and even put into action uh, that which we uh, heard tonight. Lord, bless us now as we go. We pray this Don't rush out tonight. Treat one another. God bless you.